Stand Up with Pete Dominic. You're listening to a radio bumper for a show. Now some music, then talking. All right. It's time to talk marijuana, as we sometimes do here on Stand Up. And in light of now all of New England becoming uh, what's being called the weed belt of America. As of last week, what I think was New Hampshire becoming the 19th state to legalize medicinal marijuana. We wanted to take a look at the status of our country's marijuana laws. Joining us is the director of federal policies for the Marijuana Policy Project, Dan Ripple, who is on Twitter at Dan Ripple. Dan, welcome to the conversation. How are you today? I'm fantastic, Pete. Thanks very much for having me. Um, tell us what the Marijuana Policy Project is. We change laws. Uh, we were responsible for <laughs> New Hampshire's medical marijuana law. Later this week, we're going to make Illinois the 20th medical marijuana state. Um, we, you know, we lobby in state legislatures around the country. We write initiatives. You know, the, the Colorado initiative that passed last year. Everybody's aware of that. We, you know, we're part of the drafting and we funded and managed the campaign. And uh, you know, that's it. We change laws. You, sir, are a special interest group. You're special interest in marijuana, right? That's one way to describe us, sure. And you you lobby uh, legislators, policymakers, and you you even help write the individual pieces of legislation that then get voted on by state houses and 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 now oftentimes passed into law, right? Absolutely. So, what's the difference? Because there are a lot of there are now 19 states. And I think what confuses people uh, is that uh, each law, uh, uh, each state tends to have a little bit different uh, restrictions. For example, California, it's very, very, it's, it, there's, there are far fewer restrictions, regulations on medicinal marijuana and who can get it, and where you can get it versus, say, New Jersey, where, where it's like you've got to be HIV positive or, or have cancer. What are the differences, um, some examples, Dan, of differences between medicinal marijuana laws uh, from state to state, I know uh, Washington D.C. Someone went and bought it for the first time legally yesterday. I read that earlier, and you mentioned Illinois coming up. So, how how much do they differ? Yeah, I mean, you touched on one of the main differences, which is the qualifying conditions. Um, you know, first of all, I don't think there should be qualifying conditions when it comes to marijuana or any other medicine, actually, for that matter. I mean, when you go to the doctor to be prescribed um, you know, medications for whatever symptom it is that ails you. We trust the doctor. The doctor is educated to know the, you know, what the what diseases that particular medicine treats, what the side effects are. Um, you know, that that's a matter of medical expertise. We don't say in legislation that you can prescribe Zoloft, but only for depression, or that you can prescribe OxyContin, but only for really severe pain. You know, it's it, that's a doctor's decision. But unfortunately, when it comes to marijuana, because it's such a highly politicized drug, a lot of times we actually have to write. Or legislators choose the right end of the law that you can only prescribe marijuana to treat certain conditions. In California, um, that's sort of an exception state because it says anything that the doctor you know, believes that marijuana can treat. There are other states with relatively broad language, like any condition that causes nausea or pain. And then there are other states, like uh, you know Illinois, I mentioned, will be the 20th later this month, and they have a relatively short list of specific conditions, and so you have to have one of those very specific, very serious conditions in the case of Illinois in order to qualify. The biggest um, you know, condition that's left off that list is you know, things that cause severe chronic pain. That tends to be you know, a, a large catch-all category in a lot of states, but that's because a lot of people who fall under that you know, category need medical marijuana, and so the, 
people in Illinois and other states where it's not covered are on the outside looking in. Other differences are what kind of doctors can prescribe marijuana, how close the relationship is you have to have with them, uh, whether they will recognize medical marijuana cards from patients who are out of state, where you can use marijuana, uh, where dispensaries can be located, how you can obtain marijuana, whether it's from a dispensary or if you grow it yourself or have a caregiver grow it. And all of these things vary because, you know, the political systems vary in all of these different states. Sometimes we're writing initiatives, other times we're going through the legislature and there's a sort of compromise and uh, buy-in process for opponents. And so, um, you know, that's why you wind up with these differences in laws, which can, can really manifest themselves in pretty significant ways. Um, medicinal or medical marijuana, is it not just a step, Dan, to getting to full legalization so that people can buy marijuana for recreational purposes for any, for any reason that they want? This is, this is uh, the first step medicinal marijuana in these 19 states. Is that is that fair to say that that's what your objective is at the Marijuana Policy Project? I'll answer that one with a personal anecdote. So I came to MPP because I was a prosecuting attorney in Ohio. It's a rural county in southeast Ohio, and I handled a lot of marijuana cases. We were near a college campus, so there were a lot of possession cases, and like I said, it was a poor rural Appalachian foothills county, more like West Virginia than what you think of of Ohio. So even a few people growing marijuana. And I just thought it was an enormous waste of time. There are better things for, for me to be you know, spending taxpayer dollars on. There's just, you know, there's violent crime. There are real threats to public safety that myself and law enforcement officers should be focused on. And so that's why I left and, and came to MPP to work on marijuana law, because I do think it should be taxed and regulated like alcohol. When I got there, I ended up spending a lot of time on medical marijuana laws. And my first thought was, you know, basically what you said, which is, well, uh, you know, even though I'm not a huge supporter of medical marijuana, at least, you know, this does sort of, advance the conversation, and a lot of people will be exposed to arguments about marijuana and relative safety. But then I started meeting patients who need medical marijuana. You know, I'd go to Illinois, and I would work with, you know, half a dozen or a dozen patients down there who had very serious conditions. And, you know, I have seen multiple sclerosis patients who are having tremendous, you know, tremors or muscle contractions. And just immediate relief achieved from medical marijuana. Yeah, I've heard that about, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but MS... Uh, I've heard those suffering with MS, uh, marijuana is especially uh, a really, yeah. really help, helpful remedy for those suffering with MS. I've heard that a lot from people yeah. with MS. Yeah, MS and cancer are probably the two um, you know, biggest conditions that marijuana has shown, at least through studies that have been conducted so far to help. But, you know, it's not limited to that. I know lots of other people who, you know, maybe they don't have a, a congenital or diagnosed condition. Maybe they were just hit by a bus or, you know, had a terribly you know, broken leg in a car accident. Yeah. And so they're on opiates or, you know, other really strong narcotics that are doing long-term damage to their bodies. They get on medical marijuana and they're able to reduce or eliminate their opiate consumption. And that, you know, in the end of the day is, is a much more helpful alternative for them. Right now we're talking to Dan Ripple of the Marijuana Policy Project, MPP.org. And uh, Dan, so I, I did, I'm sorry, I did not realize that you were uh, a lawyer in, uh, in, did you say Ohio? Yeah, a prosecutor, yeah, being attorney in Southeast yeah. Ohio. Yeah, uh, give me, uh, you know, give me an example of of a case that you prosecuted about was it marijuana possession or, or usage that you thought was a, a waste of time, as you said. So we had a lot of cases. For example, you know, like I said, it was a poor rural county. weren't a lot of jobs out there, so a lot of people either sold a little bit of marijuana to make money, or if they like to smoke marijuana, they grew three or four plants in their backyard for themselves, maybe for themselves and their wife or their family. Uh, and, you know, we're just sort of giving it away to them. So a lot of people who weren't kingpins, you know, these, these folks weren't growing thousands of plants. They weren't 
of destroying national park land growing, you know, on someone else's land. They just had a couple plants in their backyard. It, you know, the, that's not a public safety risk. The, those people aren't going out and hurting anyone. Um, you know, there are just better things that I felt that law enforcement officials in my county could spend their time on. There are better things that I could spend my time on. I'd be up in, you know, Munich Court upstairs running three, four, five marijuana cases in an afternoon, each of which takes up, you know, sometimes only half an hour, sometimes a couple hours of my time. Meanwhile, there are files downstairs in my office for aggravated assault and rape. And, you know, I, I kind of think if I'm a taxpayer in that county, I want my prosecutor downstairs reading up on those files, calling witnesses, preparing for those cases, and not wasting time upstairs on small-time marijuana cases. Uh, when when I, can I, if I, if I just threw out a state, could you on the radio, like, uh, just tell us what the laws are and how they differ? Is that, is that too, uh, too confusing for you, Dan? Uh, in I mean, a lot of like, cases, yes. It might be a little too specific in some cases, but, you know, generally well, speaking, I have an idea of whether a state is, Yeah, know, sorry to, I don't want to put you on the spot there. Maybe. Bad on marijuana. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I mean, of the, of the 19 states, for example, like, like New Jersey, I think a lot of people don't know the, the state of New Jersey. Chris, you probably knew that, but, but, um, Chris is from New Jersey, my, one of my producers here, Dan. But but uh, they have medicinal marijuana in New Jersey, but they're, they're really strict about it. I think it's like HIV and, 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 uh, and cancer or something. You have to have – I mean, right? Is that right about uh, New Jersey's laws? Yeah, well, they have a few more uh, qualifying conditions than just those two. The other way – the right. other reason why a lot of people who live in New Jersey don't even know that they have a medical marijuana law is I think at this point they've only li- licensed two what they call in their alternative treatment centers, what we call everywhere else, dispensaries. So there's not a lot of dispensaries, and they're not, you know, very visible publicly. They don't advertise. They don't have huge billboards, you know, whereas you go to California, and, you know, there's girls skating up and down the Venice Beach boardwalk and a sandwich board in a bikini advertising medical marijuana. So that's sort of the difference between the two states. Um, so, so, so what are the – where are – I mean, not, not, you don't have to tell me the specific locations. I'm not about to drive down there in New Jersey, but, I mean, like, what's the diff- – I guess what's the difference between uh, – what they call alternative, what did you call it? Alternative uh, treatment centers treatment and center. and, yeah. and dispensaries. How much do they differ, say, from New Jersey to, I guess, is it the most recent state, New Hampshire? And now I didn't even realize that Illinois, you're saying, Illinois' uh, yeah. state house is going to pass this. Um, this is very interesting how quietly uh, this happens in terms of just the, maybe, you know, media, news media and just not picking up and reporting. It's not as big of a deal anymore. I don't know. But anyway, what's the difference between alternative treatment centers and dispensaries, how much do they differ? Well, both of them, uh, you know, provide marijuana to patients who have a qualifying condition and are approved by the state. So they're not all that different, but there are subtle differences in business models from, you know, state to state. So, for example, for the longest time until very recently, Colorado was the only state that allowed dispensaries to be for-profit. Most states require them to be non-profit. Uh, in fact, in California, the law only says that patients and caregivers can organize for collective purposes. And so uh, all of the dispensaries operate on a cooperative or collective basis, which is, you know, even a step below nonprofit. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned, Colorado does allow them to be for-profit. Illinois dispensaries will also be allowed to be for-profit. And then there are also restrictions on advertising. Uh, some states, very, very uh, strict restrictions on advertising. You can't even have a, a marijuana leaf or a neon light in your, your sign. Other states, you know, treat that pretty loosely. There are restrictions on how close you can be to a school. Uh, in some states, it's as low as 300 feet. Other states, there's no limits. Other states, it's you know relatively high, like a thousand feet. Uh, so you know all of these things vary from state to state. So no no two state laws are exactly alike. Um, but you know generally speaking, this. 
medicine centers or whatever they're called in whatever state they're in are there to provide doctor-recommended medicine to people with serious medical conditions who qualify under their state law. The, compassion centers? They're called compassion centers somewhere? Uh, yeah, in Rhode Island, and I think actually <laughs> a couple other states are called compassion did centers. You guys, did you guys do that? Did MP, uh, did MP name them compassion centers? I think it, well, I'd want, I'd want more than the, I'd want more than marijuana at a compassion center. I want someone to you know, I want someone to hear my problems as well and feel bad for me. Maybe well, a hug. They have those at a lot of dispensaries as well. A lot of dispensaries do you know holistic treatment. So they're therapists really? who are on site. They do acupuncture. They do massages. They do other oh wow uh, you know medical recommendations that you need. So yeah, and you know wanna... the idea behind these laws in many many states they're called the Compassionate Use Act because you know it's really about compassion for people who are who have serious conditions and who are being driven to the streets to buy drugs or who are having to send their wife or their kids out to buy marijuana for them because they're too sick or they're, you know, stuck on Oxycontin or Percocet or Vicodin. And so they're doing, you know, again, terrible damage to their livers and, and the rest of their bodies. And marijuana is a much safer alternative for them. And so, you know, like I said, in many of these states, they're called the Compassionate Use Act or in many of these states, they're called Compassion Centers because that's what medical marijuana is about. It's about compassion for sick people. Uh, I want to uh, play this ad that you guys have. Um, uh, I guess it was taken down. Um, can you set up this ad? It's on your website, mpp.org. Yeah. It's a it's a television ad, and and so obviously it yeah. helps to see it. But uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play it on the radio, and you know you I think everybody can understand. This is a pretty straightforward ad for uh you know basically using marijuana instead of alcohol for recreational use. Uh, right? What what what? What happened with this ad? Why did you make this ad, and, and what happened with it? So we made the ad because in many of the states where we're working on recreational marijuana laws, our you know philosophy is that marijuana should be taxed and regulated similarly to alcohol because you know they're both used as recreational uh, intoxicants by a lot of people. The difference is marijuana is dramatically safer than alcohol. It does not cause you to get violent or to take you know reckless behavior. Uh, short and long term healthcare consequences are much lower for marijuana than they are for alcohol. And so we don't think it's rational to punish adults simply for choosing to use the safer alternative. Uh, and so that's what the ad is. We just want people who drink beer and people who think about, you know, beer in a positive light to know that there are downsides to, to alcohol that aren't there for marijuana, that marijuana is a safer All alternative. Right. So we I'm wanted to run I... this at an NASCAR event where alcohol is consumed in copious amounts and alcohol, um, you know, sellers sponsor the event. And uh, right. as you mentioned, the ad was taken down because NASCAR felt it was uh, too controversial. All right, let's talk about that after after I play it. Here, here is the uh, marijuana is safer ad. Let's see if I can play this. If you're an adult who enjoys a good beer, there's a similar product you might want to know about. One without all the calories and serious health problems. Less toxic so it doesn't cause hangovers or overdose deaths, and it's not linked to violence or reckless behavior. Marijuana, less harmful than alcohol, and time to treat it that way. For more information, visit marijuanaissafer.org. And if you go to marijuanaissafer.org, it takes you to uh, the website of Dan uh, Dan's organization, Marijuana Policy Project, mpp.org. Uh, who the hell was the voiceover guy on that, by the way? Uh, I didn't set you that know? one up. That was somebody <laughs> in our communications department, but we told him to find somebody who sounds like Sam Elliott. I think he did a pretty good job. Oh, all right. That's that's the effort. So, so now where was this ad uh, intended to play? On television? Actually, yeah, no, we actually contracted with a third-party vendor at the Speedway itself. Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have been to the Brickyard 400, but 
there and at a lot of other NASCAR events, there's you know usually a, a substantial campground relatively close to the track. And regardless, we're talking about 300,000 people who are attending this, so they usually have to filter through a relatively narrow area. And this company sets up a, a large mobile screen somewhere near the track, near the entrance to the track, where people would have to you know filter by the, the screen, and they run a few ads on a loop there, and our ad was going to be one of them. Um, and then, you know, I think Brazy Media was the company name they, and, and NASCAR got uh, their feathers in a ruffle over the ad. Unreasonably so. There's really nothing, there shouldn't be anything that controversial about that ad. Uh, but anyway, as soon as the, the press got wind of our ad, they got a little uncomfortable with it and decided to pull it. So this was an ad that wasn't even going to play on TV. It was going to play at the Speedway, at the, at the racetrack. Yeah, just on a on a large screen, you know, in the grass outside the racetrack. It wasn't, you know, we weren't even really that associated with NASCAR. It was just going to run at the facility, outside the facility. It, so, it, sometimes yeah. people think it's 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 conspiracy theory and so on, but but I I mean I think it's pretty straightforward. And I'll ask you, who are the who are the special interests against marijuana's uh, progression, legalization? Uh, at any level, because I know that out in California, when they had it on the ballot, what was it, Prop, uh, whatever it was called, um, out in California, Prop voting Prop 19, the alcohol industry uh, spent a lot of money a- against it. Um, there are, is it the alcohol industry or the pharmaceutical industry um, that are that are against this? I would imagine that the pharmaceutical uh, that the cigarette industry wants to uh, adopt and adapt all of their everything from their infrastructure to their marketing schemes to selling marijuana at some point. Uh, but, but it, I mean, it's not a conspiracy to say that the alcohol industry is against everything that you're doing, right? Uh, I would, I wouldn't call it a conspiracy. No, I mean, you know, like you said, there are concrete examples out there of alcohol industries giving money to anti-drug campaigns and to no on marijuana campaigns because, you know, just like the ad implied, marijuana is a less harmful alternative to alcohol. We know it, they know it, and so they don't want marijuana out there and their their uh, you know customer base switching to a, a less harmful product. We also face a lot of opposition from law enforcement groups because they tend to get a lot of uh, grant money from state and federal governments for drug interdiction, so they get to fly on helicopters that taxpayers pay for to go look for marijuana, or they get to drive around in SWAT vehicles and bust down the homes of people who um, you know grow marijuana, and you know they want those toys, they want them for free, and they want you know drug interdiction grants. Um, Prison guard unions, you know, they get a lot of uh, customers, so to speak, from marijuana prohibition. And without them, they might see a, a reduction in funding or a reduction in facilities. And the alcohol industry is a big one, too. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's... The, the, and the for-profit private prison industry, yeah, along with exactly. the, the... yeah. Generally uh, speaking, people who profit from marijuana prohibition are opposed to legalizing marijuana. You know, follow so that that is law enforcement, that is alcohol, and what about the pharmaceutical industry that that these you know marijuana can replace? I'm out of time. You know, I haven't seen concrete examples of pharmaceutical lobbyists. You know, right. lobbying against marijuana. Well, I appreciate I seen examples of you know pharmaceutical groups that provide grant funding to anti-drug organizations, which then use the, that yeah. funding to. Uh, all right. Well, Dan, I appreciate I appreciate you joining us. Sorry to cut you off there. At Dan Ripple on Twitter and MPP.org, the Marijuana Policy Project. Thanks a lot, Dan. We'll be right back. Stand up with Pete Dominic. For more Stand Up with Pete Dominic, go to SiriusXM.com/slash/indie.